So we're in class number four of uh, the splendor of Shabbos, hopefully deepening our appreciation for what Shabbos is about. Uh, last week, we discussed the relationship of Shabbos and the Mishkan, the tabernacle. And we know that the prohibited acts of Shabbos, what we call the 39 Melachos, are derived from the building of the Mishkan and the creative activities which were involved in the creation of the Mishkan, in building the Mishkan. Those are the 39 Melachos, the 39 creative acts that are actually forbidding on Shabbos. So in a certain sense, Shabbos is telling us you know, we build the Mishkan all week, and then we stop building the Mishkan on Shabbos. We stop the acts that are involved in building the Mishkan. And what we developed last week was the idea that the Mishkan actually is a reflection of the entire world. And uh, and just as God, and, and in a certain sense, it, it mirrors, it reflects the idea of the world that the world is a place where God makes a space within himself, so to speak, for us to dwell. And we um, we emulate that. We, we do the same by creating a mishkan in the world that we have for God to dwell within. And uh, just as God stopped dwelling, stopped building, creating the world on the seventh day, so too we stop creating this uh, mini world on the seventh day. And uh, and we left off at the end, we quickly tried to explain sort of what's the deeper idea of that. So fine, it's a very nice uh, um, parallel, but uh, kind of like, what does that have to do with me and what does it do with Shabbos? Because at the end of the day, what are we trying to remember? What are we trying to accomplish? We, fine, so we stop doing what, you know, God stops creating the world, so we stop creating the Mishkan. What are we trying to remember? If we want to remember that God created the world, so maybe we should create a world. We should create a Mishkan on Shabbos. That's maybe that should be what Shabbos is about. That will remind us that God created the world. So what we quickly suggested at the end last week is the idea that we really God by resting, God didn't need to rest on the seventh day. It's not like he tired himself out and, uh, and needed a breather. What God was telling us is that you can build and create and build and create, but then you have to stop and allow the your creation to just be and to just exist so that it can uh, fulfill its purpose. The the world God created for a purpose. The if if He kept creating it, then it would never stop and uh, and. And exist to, to fulfill its purpose. So God says, I'm going to rest. By resting on the seventh day, he's saying, now I'm seizing the creation. And now let the world uh, just, just fulfill its purpose. And, uh, and similarly, so during the week, we are building, we're creating. Um, we may even be, be creating a dwelling place for God in our, in our world, in our lives. But on the seventh day, we are reminded, well, now, now let's stop and consider that and actually allow God to come and dwell in our lives. If we're so busy the whole week trying to build, trying to create, we talked about the uh, the story of the Hasidic Rebbe about the ultimate child, right? Where's that ultimate child when uh, 
when he asked uh, this, uh, this, this, this man, like, why do you keep uh, amassing so much money? What are you doing this for? He said, I'm doing it for my children, for my, you know, so that they have enough. And then he asked the children, they're doing it for their children. They're doing it for their children. Nobody's stopping to, to live their own purpose for themselves. And, uh, and so meaning to, to grow on their own spiritually. So, uh, so on, uh, on Shabbos, we're reminded, you know, we have to stop and we just have to be, we have to, we have to, we have to take in and, and appreciate and, and, and live with that, which we're trying to create. We're trying to create a, an abode for God in our lives. Well, Shabbos can be the day where we actually focus on that and allow for God to, to come into our lives more. So, uh, what I want to do now is actually maybe say, take that idea, build on it, maybe go a little bit deeper. Maybe it's a bit of a different angle, um, but I think we'll come away with an even deeper understanding of, of what's going on here. And, uh, and to do this, um, maybe I would ask like this. So, uh, so we have this, 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 this Mishkan, this tabernacle that we're building. Um, and then, like we said, on Shabbos, we stop building the, the Mishkan, but it seems kind of distant from, from me, the Mishkan, the tabernacle. I'm not, uh, you know, there is no Mishkan now. And, uh, and I'm, I'm not building a Mishkan during the week when I, you know, even if I'm plowing, I'm not plowing for a Mishkan. So for a tabernacle. So how do I kind of bring that home to myself? The idea of, of seizing to build the Mishkan. And, uh, and to understand that, I think we have to really understand what the Mishkan, what the purpose of the Mishkan was, what was the purpose of the tabernacle, what was the purpose of the temple, and then we can try to relate it more deeply to ourselves. So we're going to learn a little bit of Kabbalah, um, and, uh, and we're going to learn from the Nefesh HaChaim, the work of Reb Chaim of Elijah. I like to say that uh, Nefesh HaChaim is is the Kabbalah that everybody needs to know, right? A lot of Kabbalah is, is very deep and, you know, you have to be an expert in all areas of Torah before you approach it. Um, Nefesh HaChayim, written by Rabbi Chaim Belashinger, one of the students of the Vilna Gaon, of Rabbi Yahweh Vilna. So he, uh, he wrote it for the common person. He didn't write it for the experts in Kabbalah, although it's, it's really in, involves a lot of, uh, of, of deep Kabbalah. But, uh, but it's kind of what I think is the need to know, and it can really enhance a person's life if they, if they learn the concepts found in Nefesh. So the first, uh, the first section of Nefesh HaChayim um, deals with the idea that our actions, um, in truth, are much more profound than we realize. That we do a mitzvah, or God forbid, we sin, we don't even realize the impact that that has in the spiritual realms. We are created with tremendous power, he says, to alter all sorts of, uh, of, of, of spiritual places, and, uh, and every action has a profound impact. That's kind of the the, the basis of, uh, of the first chapter, the first section of Nefesh HaChayim. And, uh, and he says as follows, and this is, I put a nice chunk of it onto the source sheet if you have it. Um, and 
in, in discussing this idea, he says the following. He says that the, the heart of a person should, uh, from this holy nation, should tremble over this when they realize that in his form, he is comprised of all the powers and worlds, all of them. In other words, what he's talking about now is that uh, that really a person, um, not only that their, their actions impact all these spiritual realms, but actually that a person is created as a, as a, uh, also to reflect all the different, uh, uh, all the different realms, all these spiritual places. Um, and, uh, and they, that they emphatically are the holy and the heavenly temple and men's heart, mind, the body center integrates it all corresponding to the interior of the holy of holies, the, etc. So, so b- basically what he's describing is that actually a, uh, we talked last week about how the Mishkan, the tabernacle, is a reflection of the world. And here he describes now, and he's going to go on to describe that the, the tabernacle, the Mishkan, is not just a reflection of the physical world that we see, you know, planet Earth or the universe. Um, it also reflects all the spiritual realms as well. And, and a person is also a reflection of that. The tabernacle itself mirrors a, a person. And so like the, the heart of the tabernacle was the, was the ark, the Aaron, and, uh, and, you know, and there's the heart of a person and, uh, the whole tabernacle was also a reflection of a person and, uh, and, 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 and as such we're a person is the reflection of the tabernacle and the reflection of all the world, you know, the universe and all the spiritual realms. And so look at the second paragraph. He says for the tabernacle, and the holy temple integrated all the powers and worlds and all, all the arrangements of holiness, all the buildings and treasuries of upper floors and rooms, all the holy utensils, all are per and exalted template. Tell them the most model of the holy world. So every part of the of the Mishkan of the tabernacle was there for a purpose, had a deep meaning to it, had a was a reflection of some kind of the these exalted uh the exalted template, what he calls the, 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 you know, this, this entire design of existence that God creates, the physical universe, the spiritual realms, all of that was encompassed in the design of the Mishkan and the tabernacle. And he says, therefore, a man from the holy nation, who is also comprised of all the structures and processes of creation and all the structures and processes of the vehicle, again, we're going to see Kabbalistic terminology translating into English. We're not here to explain every word that he says, but uh, but the totality of creation, he is also the model and plan of the tabernacle and the temple and all its utensils organized according to the plan of the organs, limbs, and components and sinews and all its powers. And therefore, the Zohar details the entirety of the plans of the tabernacle and its utensils, for they are all hinting at a man, a one-to-one correspondence. So as we're describing, um, we, we have this parallel between a person, a human being, and the tabernacle, all being a reflection of the entire creation, spiritual universe, physical universe. Um, and uh, and the, the Zohar, he says, actually describes how the Mishkan reflects, how the tabernacle reflects a person 
how it relates. So it, it relates to the different spiritual realms of the universe. Uh, we talked last week a little bit briefly about how it how it uh, corresponds to the physical universe, but he's saying it also corresponds to the spiritual realms, and a person is also a reflection of that. And therefore, um, the next paragraph, for this reason, definitely the focal point of holiness and the holy temple and the appearance in a particular place of the shina of God's presence is man. In other words, the per the real purpose is the focal point. What is the purpose of the Mishkan? To bring God, you know, to have a dwelling place for God on earth. Fine. We create this Mishkan like we talked about last week. We create this place where God can come and dwell. But says the Nefesh the real focal point is for the reflection of the Mishkan, meaning for mankind. For if he makes himself as holy as is possible by fulfilling all of the commandments, all of the mitzvos, um, skip the parentheses, then he becomes the actual holy temple, and within him is God. Um, again, in the translation here, it will spell out the letters of God's name because in this, since it's a Kabbalistic work, the different names of God are very important to what you know the message is trying to get across. So throughout, whether in this particular paragraph it is or not, but uh, but he'll spell it out here, Y-H-V-H, just corresponds to the letters of God's name, Yud and He, and Vav and He. Um, but uh, but the, the, the idea, the point that he's making is that if a person makes themselves holy, um, if a person makes, the, the purpose of the Mishkan or the tabernacle is really to teach us that we can be a Mishkan, we can be a tabernacle, that uh, just as we can bring the presence of God into the Mishkan, into the actual tabernacle, well, we're, we're a reflection of that. And we can bring God's presence into our own lives, as is written. Um, they are the abode of Hashem. He quotes a pasuk in Yirmiya, where it says, Heichal Hashem Hema. They are the abode of Hashem, meaning man can be the abode of God. And as they said, and I will dwell within them. So when God commands us to build the Mishkan, it actually says, the Asuli Mikdash, you should make for me a temple, and I will dwell amongst them. So make a temple and I'll dwell amongst them. One second. It should say, make a temple and I'll dwell in it. But that's not what it says. Truma. It says, in, in the book of Exodus, the book of Shemos, it says, make a temple and I'll dwell in them. So you see, you see that the purpose of the temple is not just for God to dwell in the temple, but for God to dwell in them, meaning in the people. And then one more paragraph. And based on this approach, we can address the text the verse in Shmos 25, and they shall, they shall make me a holy temple according to all that I have shown you, and so you shall do. That's the verse. You should um, you should make a temple according as, to, to, as I have shown you, and so you should do. And the sages teach when it says, and so you should do, what's and so you shall do? It just said to do it. What's the so you shall do? 
So our sages teach us, and so you shall do for all generations. Now, what does that mean, and so you shall do for all generations? So he says what we're describing now. According to our method, we can say also that it desires to convey, don't think that my focus of intention is the external holy temple. Rather, you should know that the whole point of my intention regarding the physical design of the tabernacle and all its utensils is only to provide a hint for you so that you should see. And then you should do likewise to yourselves. Then you should, in your actions, be completely holy and worthy and ready for my shrina to actually settle within you. This is specifically why it says, and they shall make me a holy temple, and I will dwell within them, as we just quoted. And, uh, and that I shall, sh- that, that all I show you, the plans of the tabernacle, my entire intention is that you should do the same with yourselves. So again, it goes back to that verse, but the Bechain Tasuador, so you should do for all generations, is saying, build this Mishkan, and then you should do this for all generations. What does that mean? Like, if the Mishkan's built, then what am I doing for all generations? Right? What, what needs to be repeated? You build it, you build it. Once it's built, it's done. Does it mean if it gets destroyed, you should build it again this way? So he says, no, no, that's not what it's saying. What it's saying is you should, you should create your make yourselves like the Mishkan for all generations. Every generation, we have the opportunity to make ourselves into a Mishkan, make ourselves into a dwelling place for God's presence. And the Mishkan is meant as a symbol. Right. Ultimately, what's the most important thing? That God dwells in a building, you know, that God's presence is in this, this building that we make, or that God is with us in each of our lives. So Nefesh Achaim is saying the the this the building, the Mishkan is just uh it's just as to serve as an example for us. It's just to right, make a Mishkan, make a Mikdash, make a temple, and I'll dwell within you. The, the Mishkan is just to, to give us a, a, an example, to give us a, uh, a model for ourselves. That just as we're to, 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 to treat the Mishkan with sanctity, and that if we follow the, the, the commandments relating to the Mishkan, God comes and dwells within it, so, uh, so, so too within ourselves. And, uh, and again, it's based on this concept which uh, we're not here to explain the, the details behind it, but this idea that really we are a reflection of the Mishkan and, uh, and the Mishkan is really a reflection of, of the world. So, uh, so when, we, when we build a Mishkan and we build it so that God can come and dwell within the Mishkan, it's a reminder to ourselves that we are to make ourselves into an abode for God as well, to rest his presence. Okay, now let's go a little further. There's two more quotes on the source sheet from Nefesh Achaim from different, uh, different later chapters. Um, so a little bit later in chapter six, he talks about the, the codification of blessings that we make on mitzvah so when we do a mitzvah when we per- fulfill a commandment many of them there's a bracha there's a blessing that accompanies it and the b- blessing is asher that he sanctified us with his 
mitzvahs, with his commandments. So he explains, this is page two, the second box, and this is how they codify the wording of the blessings associated with commandments, who sanctify us via his commandments. And so too, the verse says, uh, or sorry, this is from, from the liturgy of Shmona Esrei, said on holidays, and you sanctify us with your commandments. What does it mean that we are sanctified with the commandments? Says the Nefesh Achayim, for from the moment it occurs to a person to do a commandment, immediately its impression is made above in the supernal source of its root, and it draws upon itself from there an encompassing light and a heavenly holiness that hovers over him and surrounds him. So what he's describing is that we, he says even when we decide to do a mitzvah, but certainly when we do a mitzvah, there's a holiness that comes down. That, that's what it means to be sanctified by the commandments. There's a, there's a holiness that comes down and, uh, and surrounds us, that hovers over us and, uh, and connects us to God. And that's what he continues. And he says, and via this holiness and the encompassing light, he's attached, so to speak, to him, to God, even during his life. And this is what the text stated. And he quotes the verse. The verse says, um, and, uh, and if anybody printed this out, uh, then it should go in Shamos because it does have God's name on it. Um, you who are attached to God, you're in the present. You who are attached to God, um, it says, you're all alive today. Meaning that even while alive, you can be attached to God. That's what you see from this verse. So there's a, uh, there's when a person does a mitzvah, there's a holiness that comes down and accompanies them and, uh, and really attaches them to God. And so when we do a mitzvah, we are making ourselves into a dwelling place for God, so to speak. We are making ourselves into a mishkan and, uh, and, and creating that, that attachment, there's some kind of holiness that envelops us. Okay, and now one more idea, and this will bring us to, I guess, the, the point that I'm trying to get at, ultimately. This is the last, last box on the page, um, where he continues. This is in chapter 12. And again, he talks about this, uh, this holiness that envelops a person when they do a mitzvah. And he says, and of it itself, it arouses and draws upon itself to an encompassing light from the lofty holiness, and it assists him to complete it. So first of all, he says that God, that, that light, that, that uh, holiness that envelops us when we are about to do a mitzvah actually helps us to complete the mitzvah. Fine. And after he finishes the commandment, the holiness and the light withdraws to its root. And this is the matter of reward in the world to come it being man's own actions. This is what I wanted to get at, that uh, where he, uh, he starts talking about the world to come, Olam Haba. And he says that the idea of Olam Haba, of a world to come, is the holiness that we draw down when we do a mitzvah. It then retreats to the upper, upper realms and this, that's what Olam Haba is. That's what the world to come is. When after the soul, nefesh, meaning after the, the person, the, after one's soul separates from the body, he ascends to the light and satiate his soul in the glow of the holy light, powers and worlds that were increased and multiplied as a result of his good works. So when the soul returns to God and, uh, and it, uh, it experiences the, the delight of, of the world to come, 
it's going to be what it will experience is the light and the holiness that the person created when they did mitzvos. And he says, and that's that the, the sages said, and he quotes the, the famous teaching, Kol Yisrael le'olam haba. Every Jew has a portion in the world to come, um, or to the world to come, I should say, because that's his point. It says, le'olam haba. It says, to the world to come, or for the world to come. It doesn't say, in the world to come. It doesn't say everyone has a portion in the world to come. And what he wants to bring out from that is, as he explains, if it had said in the world to come, it didn't say in the world to come, whose meaning would be that the world to come is prepared from the time of creation, a subject and a thing by itself. And if a person is biased, you'll be given a portion from it as his reward. So he says it's not the world to come is not this place that's waiting for us that uh, that, uh, you know, it has, uh, you know, the most pleasurable things waiting there. Um, and, uh, you know, whatever you can imagine, and it's just waiting for us to arrive. He says, that's not what it is. Rather, the truth is that the world to come is a result of a person's own actions. That a portion is expanding and added to and refined for himself via his actions. And therefore, they said that all Israel, there is for them, for each one, a portion of the holiness and the lights and the brightness that he refined and to which he added for the world to come via his good actions. So it's not that we have a, a, a portion in the world to come, which will imply that there's this place that's that's waiting for us, but rather we have a portion for the world to come or to the world to come. In other words, it's a place that we create for ourselves with our actions, with our mitzvos. So, uh, so to put it all together, what I'm trying to say is that uh, that we have the Mishkan, we have the tabernacle, and, uh, and the Mishkan was a place that God's presence would dwell. But the Mishkan was meant, according to Reb Chaim of Elazhin, really to teach us that we are to be a reflection of the Mishkan. And that's why the Mishkan and the, and the, and the human being were reflections of each other and, uh, and mirror each other. And parts of the Mishkan correspond to parts of, the, of a human being. And just as... Uh, the, the purpose of the Mishkan was to bring God's presence in it, into it. The purpose of a human being is to bring God's presence into, into ourselves, into our lives. And, uh, and when we do that, and when we do that, so that presence comes down, that connection through this uh, holiness that can envelop us um, when we do a mitzvah. And that is ultimately going to be our portion in the world to come. That, that holiness that we draw down then uh, retreats and uh, back to the upper, upper spiritual realms. And that is what waits for the soul when it returns. And that's where the soul will experience the greatest pleasure. Okay. So that's obviously very deep ideas. Trust me, I don't understand it fully. But I think, uh, but I think that it can help us um, now bridge the gap between the Mishkan and our Shabbos. There is a, uh, a song that we sing on Shabbos that many people sing on Friday night. As we know, there are different Shabbos songs, Shabbos Miros, and, 
And one of the Shabbos miros begins with Ma Yedidus Menucha Seif. You know, like how dear is your resting day? And uh, and in that uh, in that song, now these songs were written by, you know, usually generally by like uh, in in the medieval period by great great uh, Torah scholars. And uh, there's a lot of depth in the songs. So in the song of Ma Yedidus Menucha Seif, and the last stanza, it says. That Shabbos is what's called It's similar to Olam Haba, similar to the world to come. Where does that idea come from, that Shabbos is, is similar to the world to come? So it actually is based, again, the, 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 the medieval writers, authors of these songs, based all their ideas in our traditions, in the Talmud, in the Midrash. So the idea that Shabbos is me'ein olam haba, is a piece of the world to come, is, uh, is really based in the Gemara, in the Talmud, in Brachos. And this is the last source that I gave you. Um, Brachos 57b. The Gemara there says that there are five things that are in our world that are 160th of something. In the, in the English um, here it says, it's not a translation, but it's an explanation. There are five matters in our world which are 160th of their most extreme manifestations. They are fire, honey, Shabbat, sleep, and a dream. And the Gemara elaborates, fire is 160th of the fire of Gehenna, of hell. Honey is 160th of the mana. And this is the one that I wanted to bring out. Shabbat, Shabbos is 160th of the world to come. Shabbos is a 60th of the world to come. That's what the Gemara says. What's the idea of being 160th? What's the significance of 160th? So 160th actually plays an important role in another area of Jewish law and Jewish practice. And that is when it comes to when something that's not kosher mixes with something kosher. At what point, so we generally have a principle that something, that if we have a mixture, so the uh, the the majority will nullify the minority, and we won't have to worry about it. So, if something not kosher gets mixed with something kosher, then uh, then the majority kosher can nullify the minority that's not kosher, and we won't have to be concerned about it. However, if you can taste the item that's not kosher, then uh, then it's you still can't eat it. If you can, if you have non-kosher mixed with kosher, and you can taste the non-kosher, you can't eat the food. How much do we assume is, uh, at what point do we assume that the taste of the non-kosher item is nullified in the kosher food? The amount is 160th. That's the amount that the halacha, that Jewish law regards as nullified, unless it's something like a spice or something, salt, or, you know, something that, that would give off a lot of taste. But, uh, but if it's just a regular food, and it falls into uh, a non-kosher food falls into a kosher. You know, you have a pot of, uh, or you can do it with milk and meat also. You have a pot of uh, of chicken soup, a meat stew, and a drop of milk falls in. So if it's one sixtieth or more, then it's it's forbidden to eat the food. It's milk and meat together because you could taste one sixtieth. Anything less than one sixtieth, one sixty one, one sixty one sixty first, however you would say it is uh is nullified so what that means is that 160th is the smallest amount of something that you could taste 
That's the idea of one sixtieth. So when the Gemara tells us, this is how the Marsha, one of the great commentaries, explains it. Many understand this way. When the Gemara tells us that Shabbos is one sixtieth of Olam above the world to come, what it means is that we have like the teeniest, tiniest taste of the world to come. That's what that's what Shabbos is. Okay, so. So we get to experience Shabbos every week. It's interesting if you think about it, because most, you know, all other holidays are uh, are once a year, right? Most holidays, the message of the holiday apparently is a message, is a lesson that we only need once a year. Whatever the message is, you know, we had a share about Sukkot. We we talked. We had a, a series about Sukkot. Whatever that message was. What the Torah is basically saying is, of course, the message is relevant year round, but you need it once a year, like a one year, once a year check in to, to get the message of of Sukkot. You need a once a year check in to get the message of Pesach, of Passover, etc. But Shabbos, we need apparently every week. Whatever the message of Shabbos is, it's not enough to get it once a year. We have to get it every week. And what that tells us is it must be extremely central, extremely important, whatever that message is one other to bring out we if you read the verses about shabbos we read them some of them in previous weeks many of them say like this for six days you should work and on the seventh day you should rest okay well is that what shabbos is six days you should work or is shabbos the seventh day is rest it sounds like that the six days of work are almost a part of the message of Shabbos. Work for six days and rest on the seventh day. And so what's the significance in terms of what Shabbos is that we should be working for six days and uh, and rest on the seventh day? So we talked about the, uh, we talked about the, 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 the Rebbe and the, and the student who, you know, worked all day and, uh, and, and never put aside time for, for spirituality. And he was doing it for his kids and then his kids did it, right? The, there's a similar um, analogy that, uh, that Rabbi Akiva Tatz gives. I think, he quote, I think he's quoting it from one of his teachers, maybe Rabbi Simcha Wasserman. Um, imagine, he says, that you walk, you walk into the, the home or the, the lab of an inventor and, and the inventor says to you, you see on the table, there's like a fancy machine gadget there. And, and you say, wow, like, what does that do? So he says, it's amazing. This machine, it never stops. It can oil itself. It can refuel. It can clean itself. If it breaks, it can repair itself. It's an amazing machine. So you say, well, well what does it do? So it, it, it fixes itself. It can oil itself. It never gets rusty. But what does it do? And the, the, the conversation continues. If somebody makes a machine that is self-perpetuating, but doesn't actually accomplish anything, then there's no purpose of that machine. If it makes a, you know, he says, if it makes a coffee, then that's great. Uh, you know, a machine that makes coffee and never breaks. So that's good. But a machine that just keeps going and going and going, like the Energizer Bunny, 
If it just keeps on going, that's not really, uh, there's no purpose to that. There's no point to that. In order for something to be meaningful, in order for something to, to be, to be um, valuable, there has to be a result. There has to be an endpoint. There has to be a destination. And if there's no destination, then there's no purpose. And in life, we have to realize that there is a destination. And that destination is Alam Haba. That destination is the world to come. And the way that we get to the world to come, as we explained, is obviously through fulfilling God's will, through doing mitzvahs. And so for six days, we work, right? But the, the work isn't only the work of uh, earning a livelihood. Six days is the work of getting ourselves to the world to come. Because the week, the six days of the week and Shabbos are really on, on another level, a mushal, a par- an analogy, a metaphor for the idea of this world and the next world. Shabbos, like we said, is it's a taste, it's a piece of Olam Haba. And, uh, and we, every week, we need that reminder. Every week, we need the reminder that, that really the, the, the world is a corridor. The world is, is here. The, my purpose in this world is to build a mishkan. It's to, it's to build a tabernacle within myself to bring godliness into myself to prepare myself for a world to come, to bring that light down around myself and uh, which, which is my alam haba. That is what prepares me for the world to come. But we get, can get caught up in it. We could forget that there's a destination. We could forget that there's a purpose. But it's, this is what it's all about. And so every single week, we need to be reminded. Every single week, we need to be reminded when we, when, by, by, um, by experiencing a day that is that's similar to the world to come. That's a little taste of the world to come. And, uh, and, we, and, and Rabbi Tatz points out that we actually prepare ourselves a little bit morbid, but you know, we actually prepare ourselves for Shabbos a little bit like we prepare ourselves for the world to come. When a person passes away, so they cut the person's nails and, uh, and they wash them and uh, they cover them in white. And uh, now we don't all wear one Shabbos, but also there's an idea of preparing for Shabbos to, to cut our nails and to, and to wash ourselves before Shabbos. In a certain sense, we are pre- preparing ourselves for the world to come. And, uh, and, and we have, and Shabbos reminds us that all the preparation for the world to come has to take place before you get to the world to come. Once you get there, you can't prepare for it anymore. In fact, the, the, the Midrash uses Shabbos as the, the, the example of this, and because it is. Midrash talks about a person who came to the world to come and wasn't exactly what he was expecting because he, he didn't, uh, didn't go as the, 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 the good part. And, uh, and you know, he saw his friend who was in line for the, the good part of, again, it's a, it's not going to work that way, but, but it's, uh, you know, it's for us to, to wrap our minds around it. He saw his friend, you know, who was in, was in line for the, for the good section of the world to come. 
And, and what he was told was, if you prepare on, before Shabbos, then you'll be able to eat on Shabbos. The expression here is Misha Tarach Be'erev Shabbos, Yochal Be'Shabbos. If you prepare before Shabbos, then you'll be able to eat on Shabbos. And uh, so Shabbos represents the world to come. We aren't allowed to do any creative activities on Shabbos. We can't build a Mishkan anymore on Shabbos. Of course, we can still improve ourselves on Shabbos. We're not going to say, you know, don't, uh, don't develop your relationship with God every week because the whole point is to remind us to develop that relationship. But we stop building a Mishkan. We stop building a Mishkan reminds us, I can't do creative activities that when I get to the world to come, I'm not going to be able to, to build anymore. I'm not going to be able to create anymore. I have to do all my cooking before Shabbos. I have to do every, all my preparations before Shabbos because when I finally do arrive in the world to come, then I will I will not be able to prepare anymore. And, uh, and the man taught us this last thing. The man, when the Jewish people collected the man, mana in the desert, so during the week, if they tried to leave something over, it didn't get, it didn't work. It, uh, it, it spoiled. And the, and the lesson was that, uh, that the, the physical things, that which we prepare during the week, that's, it's not, we're not going to take that with us to the next world. But if you prepared Shabbos, when they, the one time that they were able to leave the mana over was Friday, Friday night. To, if it's preparing for Shabbos, oh, that you'll take to the next world. And so the lesson was the things that we prepare in this world for the next world, that's what we'll be able to take. The example of the Kuyaka talks about this gives. If a person tries to amass a fortune, they're not going to take that fortune with them to the next world. But if a person gives their fortune away, gives tzedakah, they'll take that to the next world because that's preparing for, that's something that, that that's preparing merit. That's doing a mitzvah. That's a preparation for the next world. And uh, and that's the 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 lesson, the importance of encountering a Shabbos every week. We need this constant reminder. So to go back to the you know to the to the where we started from. So on Shabbos, we're to stop building the Mishkan. Right? We take a break from building the Mishkan. It's a reminder that we can't do creative acts anymore um, once once Shabbos comes. But the Mishkan, the build, the, the purpose of the Mishkan. The purpose of the tabernacle was really to remind us our purpose. They're to remind us that we are to, to make ourselves a dwelling place, so to speak, for God. And, uh, and that's what prepares us a place in Olam Haba. That's what creates a portion for us in the world to come. And we're to do that six days a week. We have to keep doing it. We always have to do it. And, uh, and, but we could forget that. We could lose track of that. And that that's our, our, our goal, and that's our mission. We might lose track of the destination. Therefore, God gives us a day every single week where, uh, where we can experience a little taste of the world to come, a day that many of the laws serve to remind us you can't prepare anymore for this day. It's only once you get to this day, whatever you prepared before, that's what you're going to have. And, uh, and that reminds us of, the, of, of how we're to use our our time in this world to its best uh to its to you know for for its purpose use our time in the best way and uh and then we can merit the the shabbos the uh the, the special uh what's what's called the uh yom shekulo shabbos the day that's all shabbos which is the the days of the world to come okay we'll pause there